You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. church is blessed to have a number of ministers um, that we have here, and we, we have sent a number of them out to the different satellite churches that we started around the city, all of our, our satellite churches. We've got nine in total that are connected to this church, and uh, so we are blessed, and here, this, here tonight we have Brother Watson, who is going to come and deliver the word of the Lord. Can you welcome him as he comes? Sorry, none of those ministers could make it tonight. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's so good to be here tonight with you. And Ann, I am just uh, I'm excited to be here. I have just an awesome presence of the Lord that I feel in this place. Amen. Praise God. I hope you all have your notes from last February's message. This will be part two of our series. And uh, we should finish it in 10 to 15 years. I'm just joking. Amen. I'm just excited for what God is wanting to do in this place. Praise God. <clears throat> now, I was thinking, uh, before I get into my message, I want, every, I want you to know, this is really important, that I believe this. Everything that I'm going to say, I believe it with all my heart. And so... If while I'm speaking, I say something, a verse, and you believe it too, and you agree with me, I hope you'll amen, whether you amen out loud or whether you amen in your spirit, because you know what happens when the people of God begin to agree on the word of God, that God is true, amen, faith begins to rise in the house, and when faith begins to rise in the house, that is when things can happen, amen, amen, and we desire to see God move, isn't that right? Praise God. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read verses, four, uh, verses 1 to 7. Excuse me. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me that thou hast what thou hast in the house. And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. And then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee. And upon thy sons, and thou shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God. 
And he said, Go and sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I love you, Jesus. God, I'm thankful tonight. Lord, for your word, I'm thankful for your spirit, Jesus. Uh, God, that I believe is in this house tonight, Lord. I can feel your presence, Lord Jesus. Uh, God, I know, Lord, that there are lives that you're desiring to touch in this place, Lord Jesus. Uh, I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to make ourselves available, Lord. Uh, God, to pour ourselves out before you, Jesus. Uh, God, and allow your presence to fill us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight on this title, Your Answer is in the oil. We're talking about oil today. Some of you probably immediately thought of Jed Clampett, but uh, that's not the type of oil we're talking about. <clears throat> when we read about this oil in the Word of God, it's a, it's a different type of oil. To the people at this time, it was, a, it was more than just a substance that they would, they would cook with. And that, you know, that's what we think of today, obviously, uh, something that just makes everything better. Flavors food, makes everything crispy and delicious. But if you've been around the Bible for a little bit, you might be familiar with this idea that there's a, a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of different types and shadows that exist within the Word of God. And, and even if you're not, have no fear, we're going to talk about it, particularly how it pertains uh, to our scripture that we're talking about tonight so we can grasp what God is wanting to challenge us with today. Amen. When we talk about Oil, it's important to understand what that meant to the people at the time that it's being written about. Because we want to understand the full implications here of what the writer's trying to convey in the Word of God. So the basic of the basic here, in the Hebrew, the translation was just fat or grease. And that's the, the figurative, or sorry, that's the literal translation. But, but figuratively, the key here is that it was richness. The word was translated as fruitful. Oil symbolized wealth. It symbolized abundance, health, energy. It was a vital ingredient for a good life. You had to have it. You needed it. It was a key ingredient if you wanted to have a full life. It's primarily, of course, its use was for food. It was a high quality fat that gave the body more energy than carbohydrates do. Not to get into all that, but at the same time, it has... Fewer byproducts when metabolized. Aren't you glad you came? This science lesson you're getting. The people of the Mediterranean, they've known for millennia that natural fats are good for us and it's beneficial. It was a fuel to burn. Citizens of the ancient Mediterranean would fill their lamps with the oil. It was used as medicine, as the parable of the Good Samaritan would reveal. In the dry and desert regions, olive oil was protected and nourished for the, the skin and the scalp. If you need that sort of thing, I guess you could, probably not right now, but in the, in the hot summer, <clears throat> one early writer said you could use it to protect your body on a cold night. I don't know who's rubbing themselves down with olive oil if it's too cold out, but that's too expensive. <clears throat> but when we read from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we see that God commanded oil to be used when they consecrated for the consecration of sacred people and things. It is used as an ingredient in some offerings. For the people of the time, it was, it was almost like a form of, of liquid gold. It was sometimes functioned even as a kind of currency. When it was properly made and stored, it would keep for years and it would hold its value. And you look through the scriptures, oil uh, in abundance was a sign of prosperity. And running out of oil meant that there was a, a famine or there were hard times 
In Proverbs, excessive oil would signify wastefulness. In Proverbs 21 and 17, it says, He that loveth wine and oil will not be rich. While saving oil was a characteristic of somebody who was wise, there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. <clears throat> now, maybe today we don't consider, we don't attach such value to oil, but we need to understand how important it was to the lives of those in the Word of God to understand our text today. When we consider all the uses of oil and the value that it added to their lives, we can understand why it would symbolize richness and fruitfulness, abundance, and it even would symbolize separation and anointing. If you look at the story of Jacob, when Jacob built the altar in Genesis, after he had the meeting with Jehovah, he pours oil over that pile of rocks. God had revealed himself to Jacob in a dream, at this time, Jacob was not a, a model citizen. No, he was a, a lying, cheating, supplanting scoundrel fleeing for his life. But God comes to him in this dream and he brings words to him of, of encouragement about his future. And a tremendous change has taken place in his life. And God makes promises to him concerning his descendants and his safety. He promised never to leave him. And so Jacob awakes and he pours out the oil on this, this, this uh, pile of rocks. And a transformation begins to occur in Jacob as a result of God reaching out to him in relationship. He begins to taste true abundance through his experience with God. The source of everything oil represents. In one sense, we have this picture of Jacob pouring fine, expensive oil on a, just a regular old pile of rocks. But it set something apart with abundance that was ordinarily common and unremarkable. And that is what the anointing, that is what the infilling of God's spirit can do on a life. It was a physical symbol of the touch and anointing of the spirit of God that would bring richness, that would bring change, abundance, separation from that which was at one time common. And the word tells us that his spirit will certainly produce abundance and fruitfulness in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit we know is love. It's joy. It's peace. Amen? It's accurate to say that oil and the Holy Spirit are often used in parallel through the Word of God. So here's the crux of the matter. This is what it is. It's all conditional upon us. If we're willing to make room for His Spirit in our lives, and that brings me to our text this morning, God wants to pour Himself out. If we look at this record of the, the widow and the prophet Elisha, we read about Elisha's encounter with the woman who was facing such a terrible situation. Her family, she comes to inquire about Elisha to, to bring a solution to her issue. Amen? And we, all, we don't know a lot about this woman. We know that she's lost her husband. We know that her husband was one of the sons of the prophets. This is talking about a group that the Bible doesn't really tell us a whole lot about. We know that it was a group or a following that came out from the school of the prophets that existed during the, the time of Elijah and Elisha. They existed to help and to aid the prophets of God more or less. And so one of these men supposedly had, a, had, had known Elisha and he had died. And he had left behind his wife and, and two children. And he had debts and she had no means to pay them. The legal system in Israel at that time would not allow her to declare bankruptcy. She had to give up her sons as servants to her creditor as, as payment for the debts. And we think about that as inhumane that might seem. That creditor understand at this time was well within his rights uh, for the law to uh, enslave the debtor and his or her children as far as the until the year of jubilee to work off that debt so the widow she comes to elisha for help and she even refers to her husband she says that you know him 
You knew my husband. There's, there's a relationship there. So just maybe the prophet can help us out in this situation. We have to wonder what the woman had in mind when she's asking for Elisha's help. You know, understand, when we're looking for help, we, we always have somewhat of an idea of, of what we'd like to have. You know, <clears throat> we know what kind of help we're looking for when we ask. And she's probably thinking, Elisha, if you could just cut a check. That would really help out this situation. Elisha, if you could just take care, if you could just pay this debt, then all would be well. Just, just throw some, some money at this situation and we'll be okay for a while. But just remember, as a widow, she still could not support herself or her children in this time. Even if Elijah, Elisha managed to fix the debt issue, if he managed to take care of the situation right now, just the pressing issue, Eventually, they would starve to death. And Elisha, so he, he understands her plight, he understands her situation, and with all of his empathy intact, he essentially says, what do you want me to do about it? What would you have me to do? And then he turns to her and says, you know what? What do you have in your house? I don't know what she was expecting. But I doubt that was it. She was probably thinking, Elisha, if I had something in my house that could solve my problems, do you think I would be here talking to you? So she says to the prophet, probably in a voice of defeat, you know what, Elisha? You want to know how bad things are? You want to know how bad it is? I don't have anything in my house except one small flask of oil. That's it. Not even enough to cook with. See, we, we so often think the answer to our issues is going to be something new. I just need, God, I just need a new idea. God, I need a new thought or a new program or a new app or self-help book or, or podcast, something that's going to fix things. Uh, we think that if I had made different choices, I wouldn't be where I am. If I had a different house or a different job or a different partner, if I had taken a different path for my education, if I could just win that million dollars, then everything would be okay. And you know what? No doubt that woman thought, I need more than I've got right now, Elisha. And Elisha says, go back into your house and tell me what you have because I can guarantee you your answer is in the oil. There's some evidence here that the jar of oil that they're talking about was not a large supply for cooking. They use a word meaning anointing flask, just a small little bit of oil. Look at this, Elisha. I can't do anything with this. And now Elisha's about to push a little bit more. He gives the widow woman some work to do, which I'm sure she was just thrilled about. Because isn't that just what you want when you're desperate and in need of help? Chores. He says, go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Elisha made this woman put in some effort and commit herself in faith and action to be a part of what God was about to do in her life. See, the faith is that the man of God has a purpose to do and the action is going out and preparing the vessels, having no idea how God's going to do it or what's going to happen. So I guarantee you, to borrow vessels in this manner probably invited some awkward questions, probably had some strange looks. Uh, she had probably had to step out of her comfort zone a little bit, uh, going around and getting all these jars when they know you don't have anything to put in them. But she did it anyway. 
And the word of God, through his prophet, had commanded her to do. She didn't just run next door and grab one jar and say, okay, there, done, now help me out. No, she went from house to house to house to house, and she borrowed as much as she could. She did what she was told to do, and she did it in faith. And the result that was coming would be the answer to her present situation, and not just right now, but her future as well. A lot of times we don't give God enough credit. We think too small when we have this pressing need that's consuming our thoughts and our emotions. We're so desperate for that answer, but we don't see that God not only has an answer for right now, He's got abundance for your future that you can't even imagine. But we can only see what's pressing right now, and that is what God can do. So He says, take your small flask of oil, pour it out into all those vessels, and set aside the full ones. He said, take what you have, which at the moment was everything she had, and pour that out in faith into everything that you've prepared. And she did this, and the oil miraculous kept flowing, and the oil kept pouring and from the original vessel until when all the vessels were filled and there was no more space left to contain anymore. And at the end of it, she had a lot of oil. The Bible says that she had enough to cover the cost of her debt and she had enough to ensure her future. Now, this is important. Notice Elijah made her do this. Perhaps Elisha was attempted to go out and to gather those vessels himself. Maybe he thought, you know what, I'll just help her out and I'll pour the oil himself. But he knew that she had to trust God herself. In our humanity, sometimes we want quick, right? We want fast. We want easy. We want painless. We want to just have the answer. God, if you could just give me what I need. But we really need to be willing to do our part to to prepare the vessels, to make the space for the answer that's coming because our answer, church, it's in the oil. You know, she didn't have to do this. She could have just kept asking people. She could have went, okay, Elisha's not going to help me. I'll go to the next person. But she didn't. She could have said, Elisha, this is ridiculous. I don't have time for this. But she was willing to do the work. She was willing to follow the man of God's advice, even when she didn't understand or see how it could possibly help. And for that faith and for that effort, she got rich abundance. She got deliverance and she got a future. And the abundance of the oil continued to flow until there was no more space. The Bible says, so the oil ceased. The miracle was given according to the measure of her faith in borrowing vessels. We know she borrowed enough for the excess oil was to be sold and provided money to pay the debt and the creditor and to provide for her future. Had she borrowed more, more would have been provided. Had she gathered less, less would have been provided. The issue of lack of abundance in her situation corresponded directly to her faithfulness in providing a place for the oil to dwell. I hope we're starting to see the picture here that, that God is trying to paint for us through His Word. Second Timothy chapter 2 says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, 
He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Understand this, church. We are his vessels and he desires to fill our lives with the oil of his spirit. Whatever you feel like you're lacking today, whatever load you're carrying today, the answer is in the oil of his presence. You're going to find everything that you need in his presence today. I'm sorry to tell you, but there is no new book waiting to be written that's going to fix your situation. It has always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. And if you're willing to make room for him in your vessel today, he will fill your life. Praise God. Proverbs 4, 25, 27 says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Keep your foot from evil. Don't be looking to the left. Don't be looking to the right. When we've got an issue in our lives, society doesn't have the oil that you need for abundance. It's only found in Jesus Christ. I want to reiterate this point because it's really important. If the widow woman had borrowed a few vessels, she would have had a little bit of oil. If she had borrowed many vessels, they should all be filled and she should have much oil. She was herself to measure out what she was going to have. And I believe that you and I, in the matter of spiritual abundance from God, have more to do with the measurement of abundance than we realize. Yes, God is the source. It is His Spirit that fills. But if there is no longer an abundance of God's presence in your life, where there once was church, don't think for a second that it's God's Spirit that has dried up on you. We've got a big God today. Understand, we do not serve a weak God. We do not serve a tired God. He's not out of date. He's not old-fashioned. He doesn't go out of style. I understand you've probably got issues. You might have big problems today. And I'm not saying that they're not real or they don't matter. If anything, they matter because they matter to you. They matter to God. But understand, my God is bigger than that situation. You might feel like there's darkness all around. But I serve a God who can dispel any darkness today. Let's not limit Jesus with our mindset or our thinking. No, let's let God be God. Let Him be who He said He would be. He's got more abundance. He's got more goodness for your life than you can handle if you'll prepare your vessel today and if you'll make room for Him. The oil that day in the widow's house did not pour out onto the ground or simply flow about. No, it flowed when there was a vessel prepared for it. Each vessel had to be gathered. It had to be assembled. It had to be emptied. It had to be put in the right position. It had to stay in the right position. And when there was no more room, the oil stopped. And the principle of this miracle was this. The amount of man's work with the miracle determined the amount of blessing and provision actually received. God's powerful provision invites our effort and never excuses laziness. When we do all that we can do and prepare and make room then God can do what He does best and He can fill. Amen? Spurgeon said this. He said, God takes care to deliver His servants in ways that exercise their faith. For He would not have us to be little in faith. For faith is the wealth of the heavenly life. You will have God in the measure that you desire Him. I'm going to say that again. You will have God in the measure that you desire Him. Only remember... 
that the desire that brings God must be more than just a feeble, fleeting wish. Wishing is one thing. Willing is quite another. Lazily wishing and strenuously desiring are two different states of mind. The former gets nothing, and the latter gets everything. It gets God and all that God can bring to your life. The vessels had to be emptied before they could be filled. It did no good to bring the widow vessels that were already full. A full, abundant Jesus is for those who have emptied themselves out before Him. It is not our emptiness, but our fullness at times that can hinder the outpouring of abundance in our lives. just want to hang out there for just a second. You know, we fill our lives with so many things. We really limit the presence of God in our lives when we allow our vessels to become cluttered with the cares and concerns of life. He calls us to cast those upon Him. But we sometimes, we just allow those distractions of the world to, to cloud our judgment. We don't allow the Spirit of God any room in our lives. The Bible talks about this, calls it being entangled with the affairs of this life. It says that no soldier that's engaged in a battle has any time for that. Romans 12, 2 says, Paul tells us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Another version says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Well, how can I make sure that I'm renewing my mind? Well, I've got to find Him in prayer. I've got to find a place where I can get into His presence, where I can get desperate for Him, where I can get in touch with Him. That's why it's so important, church, that we find a place every single day consistently, a prayer time when we experience His presence, when I can empty out all the things that I, that I don't need and stay full of His presence because we, we need it, church. God, what mindsets, what thoughts, what fears, what concerns am I carrying today that I don't need to carry? Help us to let go and empty out all the things I don't need to make room for all the good things that you want to put into my life. We come to God looking for a new answer to old problems. And His Word said He's already sent us a comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, His presence and His glory. Manifest in our life is the answer to our issue today. The answer is in the oil of the Spirit of God, if you'll just make room for Him. The issue is not a lack of His presence. God is not lacking. But whether we have the capacity to contain all that He desires to give us today. If I can make this, this heartfelt plea before we are done today, before this service ends and we leave and life goes on as it does, and the moment is gone, I encourage you to not wait, to, to not delay, for today is what we are guaranteed, and today can make all the difference. Time is a terrible thing to waste. We must make the most of every opportunity that we have to draw closer to Him. We tend to to live at times like opportunities will never cease. Like there's, there's always next time. Maybe, maybe next time will be my time. And, and maybe next service I'll, I'll, I'll do what I feel like I've been wanting to do for a long time. No, this is the day. This is the time. This is the hour that God has prepared for you. Take advantage of it. We know that we're waiting for Christ's return. And there is coming a time when the time to prepare will come to an end. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish, and they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. 
But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps while the bridegroom tarried. They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, and behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. The wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. Go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The parable of the ten virgins pictures the church waiting for the bridegroom's return. Because of an unexpectedly long delay, he finds half of the virgins unprepared for when he arrives. In weddings at that time, the bridegroom traditionally would lead a procession of bridesmaids <clears throat> who were waited to his home. Since the procession would almost in inevitably take place at night, each bridesmaid was expected to supply hers or her, own, or her own torch or lamp to be prepared. Understand tonight the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins in the parable is not that one group did not have oil, but that one group did not have enough for the unexpectedly long delay. When the cry went out, their lamps were still burning, but they were sputtering. They were almost out. And the wise virgins are prepared and they make sure that they remain in contact with the dispenser of the oil, and they stay full. But the, fool, the foolish virgins, they say, no, they, they ran out, and they had to go, and they had to buy. The wise had been in recent contact with the dispenser of the oil. They made sure not to go too long without oil. Otherwise, the others apparently had dallied around and wasted their time. They were not prepared. Being prepared is an internal state. It is not something that can be transferred. Each one is responsible to spend the time to make the effort to go to the dispenser of the oil to make sure the lamps are full because the bridegroom is coming whether you are prepared or not. And the answer is found in your vessel. Amen. I'd like to ask the music to come back. Understand tonight that the oil cannot be borrowed. In no way can it be passed from one person to another any more than we can borrow character or discipline or a relationship with God from our neighbor. It is something that we've got to cultivate in our own lives. The parable teaches us that the opportunity comes, opportunity knocks, and then opportunities leaves. And the foolish failed to face the possibility that the bridegroom would come later than they expected. And when they woke up, they had no time to fetch any oil or to fill their lamps. The time to prepare, the time to fill had come and it had gone. Amen. Let's all stand. That widow woman looking for a miracle. Under a crushing debt. About to lose everything. The only family she had left. And the answer was in her own house. Just waiting to be poured out. She just had to raise her faith. She had to empty out the vessels. And she had to pour it out. Her answer was in the oil all along. 
And there's oil here tonight. God's spirit, his presence is here tonight. And he's looking to pour it out. He's looking for vessels that will make themselves available to him. That will open themselves up in faith and say, God, fill me. God, fill my life with your presence. I don't know what your desire is for your life for this moment or tomorrow or for the rest of this year. But can I make it really simple for you here tonight? If there was one thing that you could do that would make every other aspect of your life better, it would be to get more of Jesus in your life, to get more of his presence, to schedule more time to pray, to get more into his word than you ever have before. You know what? You might have to make some more room. You might have to remove some of the clutter from your vessel. You might have to repent of some things. You might have to clean up some of the content in your life. You might have to pour yourself out a bit more often, but it's worth the preparation to make room for more of His presence in your life. Church, we are waiting for His return. Just as those who were wise and those who were foolish were waiting, and Jesus is coming back. It might seem delayed, but that's not going to be an excuse because we've got to stay prepared. We've got to stay full up. So stay close to the source of the oil. Stay full of His Spirit. Don't delay. Just like that widow woman, your answer isn't out there. It's in the house today, and it's in the oil. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.